few verses again from 2 Samuel 1, 25 to 27. And I've not got the whole context of this, uh, I don't know if it's a song or a poem or whether it's just the cry of David's heart, but this is basically when David found out of the death of Saul and his son Jonathan in the battle that they were in. And one thing I find really interesting in this, just before I read these again, is that David also laments and in some degree praises Saul. He laments his passing, he laments his death, he, he, he gives him honour and credit. And it's a real challenge to me, and I'm sure it is to you, that this man Saul hated David. And he tried to kill him on a number of occasions, he tried to pin him to the wall with a spear. And not only that, after so much of that, David began to kind of run out. I don't think David ran away through, through cowardice or fear, but because he didn't want to have to, he didn't want to come against the Lord's anointed, and he stopped his own soldiers doing that, even in the cave, when he had opportunity to kill him. He cut a piece of his robe off and said, look, I could have done this to you, but I didn't. And you just think about us and maybe those people that have done so terrible things to us. You know, if we found out that their lives have been taken, would we be glad because our enemy's gone and, you know, the world's a better place because of it? Or would we lament? Would we honour them? It's a question, isn't it, to us? But here he is distressed. He says it in this verse 26. He says, How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. Oh, how the mighty have fallen, and the weapons of war perished. Jonathan and David were the greatest examples, or at least two of the greatest examples, of true godly friendship. What examples they were. David, as a young man, sent from caring his father's sheep in the field to deliver food, you remember, to his brothers. He was the youngest of all of his brothers and he was in the fields with the sheep looking after his father's sheep. Not his own, but his father's. Again, we see there, don't we? Let's always look for Christ in the Old Testament. David is a picture, an example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there he is looking after his father's sheep. And when bears came and wolves came, he fought them and he took the sheep out of the father's mouth and that's what Christ does. And that's what his under shepherds do. They watch for wolves and they protect the sheep. So David's there in the field as the youngest brother and he's already been anointed at this time to become king. So he sent, and he sent to his brothers who were camping in the army of Israel in the valley of Elah with a gift of cheeses for their captain and food for his brothers. What did he do? What did he see when he got there? He saw Goliath, whom he called an uncircumcised Philistine, defying the armies of the living God. And in an act of great courage and faith, this teenager, for that's what he was, probably no younger or older than you, Joel, 
He went out. Well, all of Israel's army, his older brother, Eliab, who was mighty warrior, they cowered in fear, the whole army. And he went out and he defeated this giant, this Philistine champion. So immediately after this had happened, immediately after he'd come back from slaying this great champion of the Philistine army, in 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 to 4, we read these words. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, he was before Saul, he just killed him, and Saul is speaking to him, it says, The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armour, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. David and Jonathan's soul were knit together. Something special happened. Charles Spurgeon notes this. He says, Jonathan's was a singular love because of the pureness of its origin. It came from God, didn't it? The love of God knit them together. That's why it was so pure. That's why it was so singular. Jonathan loved David out of great admiration of him. When he saw him come back with the head of Goliath in his hand, he loved him as a soldier loves a soldier, as a brave man loves another brave man. He felt that there was, there was the right kind of metal in that young man. And though Jonathan was the king's son and heir apparent to the throne, we find that he stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David in his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. He felt that such a hero who could so trust his God and so expose his life and come off so victorious deserved his utmost love. It did not begin in self-interest. It did not begin in relationship. But it began in the likeness that Jonathan saw between his own nature and that of David. It was one brave man Loving another brave man. He said his soul was knit. As soon as David finished speaking with his father. He hadn't built up a relationship. He hadn't grown to love him. His soul was just knit to him. And he loved him. He saw him. And he saw this. Here is a man who is a soldier. Here is a man who is brave. Here is a man who loves God. That was what his own nature was. Jonathan loved God and David loved God and they both desired to serve God and he would not stand there and let this Philistine defy the armies of Israel. And when you see that kind of thing, you have such admiration, don't you? And that's what Jonathan had for David. But Jonathan's love for David was real. It was a real love. And it was... An intense love. And it was a love that sprung into action. It wasn't just one that was by mouth. But one in which we see much action. I'm just thinking about my own school days. Remember your school days? 
my school days were, what am I, 43, I left when I was 16, so a few years, that's over 20 odd years, some of us maybe many more years ago they were at school, but I'm sure you remember them, I'm sure you remember your school days, you remember your school mates, I didn't have that many mates, I'm sure you had more mates, but those friends that you spent those few years with, those and it's not a lot of years, is it? My kids sometimes say, I just don't, don't want to go to school. It's just boring and it's too long. And I'm thinking, well, six hours a day is not too long, is it? I mean, wait till you go to work. But they'll realise one day that they've got it good. Five days a week for six hours. Those friends, those schoolmates that you kind of hung around with and <coughs> side by side with almost every day just for those few years. And the question for me is, how many of them remain by your side today? Maybe some of them do. How many of you remain by their side today? You know, maybe you were thick as thick as thieves. I, I was thick as thieves with one lad at school and I've not seen him for years. Maybe it's maybe something, I mean, we, we have this... Tuesday morning that we open up and quite often somebody will come in and either Mark knows them or Frank knows them or they know them and it's, you know, I used to go to school with that person or, you know, down the pit with that person and sometimes periodically you see people that you once knew probably better than you do now. Maybe we pass them by on the street and we stop and we talk and we reminisce a little bit. Remember the good old days. Remember that time when and we have a laugh about the things we did at school. But I think it's true to say that most of these friendships are fleeting. Most of them are just for a time. Some of them perhaps are better that we are no longer friends. For either we or they were not the greatest influence on each other. But most of them are fleeting. And it's true I, again to say I think that, that in our lives, in our lifetime, we perhaps experience only a handful at most of deep, long-lasting friendships. Ones that just go on throughout our lives. Again, the souls of David and Jonathan were knit together. Something uniquely <coughs> special about this pair. And Jonathan, he was the heir to the throne. A bit like, you know, Prince, um, Prince, Prince Charles, he's King Charles now, but he was the heir to the throne. And I guess William is now the heir to the throne after <coughs> King Charles. You know, does, does William want the throne? Is he, is he after it? Is he, is he panting and chewing, chomping at the bit to get this title of king? Was, was Charles? Maybe, I don't know. They would have to speak for themselves for that. But here we have this, this, this young man. I think he's probably quite a bit older than David. But nevertheless, he is the heir to the throne of his father, King Saul. Yet he knew that David would be king. He knew it. He knew that David was God's man. No jealousy. No envy. He knew that he was never going to sit on the throne of the, of the kingdom of Israel. And yet right there in that time he was the heir. But he knew that David was God's man. 
And he was happy about that. He wasn't jealous of him. You see, Saul was jealous of him. That's why when David came out from killing those people, uh, the Philistines, and they chanted, you know, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tenths of thousands. And Saul was like, hold on, whose name are they chanting here? They're not chanting my name, they're chanting his name. He was jealous, he was envious. And it, it got him angry, it got him bitter, it got him mad and he sinned. And a, a, an evil spirit was given to him and he, he hated David all the more. But not Jonathan. Remember Herod as well was a similar, similar issue. When, when Herod heard about this infant that had been born, that, that had been prophesied many years before, who they were calling the king of the Jews, what did he do? Well, he lied to the wise magi. And he said, go and find out where this king is so that I too may go and worship him. But it was all a lie. Because he wanted to destroy him, because he didn't want to lose his kingdom. It was a threat to his kingdom. And instead he decided to try and destroy him by killing all the males, two years and under, in Bethlehem and all the surrounding regions, because of his fear of losing the kingdom that he had. When Saul's persecution and his hunt for David intensified, Jonathan went to David in the woods and strengthened him. And he said, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. What humility. What humility from a man who's right, according to how the kingdom worked, was going to be the next king. And there he said, you shall be king over Israel and I will be next to you. Not many of us, I don't think, would think that way. But he loved this man and he knew that he was God's man. Why? Because he was a godly man. And he loved God. And he loved David. And he knew that he knew that he knew that God had chosen this man. <coughs> And he protected him. And he did all he could to protect him from his father's arrows and his spears and his, uh, his chief of the army. Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And he knew that his father's intentions were evil. He knew David should be and he knew that David would be king. And so in order to protect that, in order to protect this man that his soul had been knit to, he put his life, his very own life at risk in order to save his friend. This, I think, is a marvellous, sweet, I guess, picture of the kind of love that there should be between God's people. What fellowship. We should be knit together in our souls. God's people. Such is the love that God's people should have for each other. And we should be knit together in our souls as one. See, Jonathan, he did love his father. 
He did love his father and he respected him. And he honoured him. And he did all he could up until a point of righteousness. He even went to the point, didn't he, where... I've got to try and remember the story out of my head, but they were, they, they were going somewhere to, to, to... They might have even been hunting David, I'm not sure, but basically Saul said, you're not going to eat anything. Don't eat, no, none of my army is going to eat anything until we sort this issue out. Now, Jonathan was not in the hearing of his father. He didn't hear that, he didn't know that. And he went and he found some honey because he was literally on his knees with hunger. And he ate the honey and it was told to David and basically John, uh, David, uh, Saul sorry, had said, if, whoever does, whoever eats, will die. And it was only Jonathan's and Saul's people who convinced him not to kill his own son. And yet Jonathan was willing to do it. He said, you've made the decree, do it all according to your will. He was willing to do it. He loved his father, he honoured him. But Saul was harbouring this wickedness in his heart towards David. Who was righteous. And he was God's own chosen one. Anointed to be king. God himself has said that. He is a man after my own heart. I have chosen him to be king of Israel. And I have taken the, th the throne of, of Israel out of your hand. He said that to Saul. He was God's chosen king. See, love for God's people. <coughs> Our true brothers and sisters must be greater than filial love to those who rebel against God. What do I mean by filial? What's family? Our love for each other as people of God should rise above even the ungodly of our family. We love our families. I love my family. You love your families. And I'm probably guessing, but I'm not sure that there's anyone in this room whose every family member is a believer. I don't know. Maybe there is. And God be praised if it is that case. But we have family members who are unbelievers and who rebel against God at this time, no matter how nice they are. But our love for God's people should be more than it is for them. That doesn't mean we shouldn't love them. But remember what Jesus said when they came to him and they said, your mum and, uh, and your brothers, they're waiting outside for they want to see you. Pretty much they were kind of commanding, saying, look, stop what you're doing and come and see your family. And Jesus said, who is my mother? All my brothers. And he looked round at the circle of those who sat about him and said, here, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister and mother. This is not about not loving our families, but this unity, this love that we have for the people of God is a higher, more wonderful, more knit together, if you like, of a unity, of a blessing, than even those of our family members who are family members by blood that are currently rebels against God. May Christ enable all of us here this morning to be those saints in the household of God whose souls are knit together. May it be true that we can save each other, that we love one another as we love our own souls. I'm sure that you love yourself. And I know that can, in this generation that can mean a lot of strange things. But in order to love someone else, you must have 
Like, like it said of Jonathan, he loved him as he loved his own soul. If you didn't love your own soul, you wouldn't care what happens to you. You wouldn't, you know, you, you wouldn't care about your appearance or anything like that. You, you, you see what I'm saying? You, you've got, you love. We love one another. As we love our own souls. To love one another as Christ loved us, as it says in the scriptures. Love one another as I have loved you. To be revealed by that love as witnessed by the world to be his disciples. You see, the scripture says, doesn't it? By this they shall know that you are my disciples when you love one another. The way we love one another, the way we are as a unity, uh, as a body of believers, is something that the outside world looks upon and sees something altogether different. This is more than just a family that have been born into a household who love one another. This is something greater. This is something special. This is something that's not earthly, but it's heavenly. We ought to be those people that show that to the world, that we love one another as Christ loved us. Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself, that each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's be those by the help of God that put one another first. That's the greatest thing. You know, when you receive, it's good to receive, but it's better to give. That's what Paul says. He says that Jesus said it in Acts. As our Lord said, it's better to give than to receive. And I think that's right. Even, even in a human level, Christmas time, you give a gift. I think that feels, it's more exciting to give a gift to somebody. You know they're loved than, than you to receive one. It's blessed. It's more blessed to give than to receive. But all this, all this really is symbol and a picture. It's real. But it's all about Christ's love for us. The song that we're going to sing at the end. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a friend we have. If the souls of Jonathan and David were knit together in brotherly and godly love, how much more are the souls of all those who put their trust in Jesus Christ united to him? How much more than this human example is, are we knitted to Christ? If we've been united to Christ in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. We, we shall be given his life. He was joined to the Lord, his one spirit with him. That's what scripture tells us. That he was joined to the Lord, his one spirit with him. We are knit together with Christ. If we're his this morning, we're knit and as that song said, we can't be torn asunder from that grasp and that grip of his hand. Let's listen to these humbling and sweet words of Jesus in John 15, 15 through 17. He says this to his disciples, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant does know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all the things that I heard from my father... I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. 
These things I command you that you love one another. I have called you friends. Listen, this is not just for them. If you love Christ, if you're his this morning, he's called you his friend. What it is to be a friend of Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. And sometimes I wonder, you know, with life and the way that we sometimes think and how we feel and our sin and our inability and our lack that we often kind of think about as a Christian. Lord, I'm just so far away from you. I'm just, I'm just so not good enough. And I'm just, I wish I would pray more. I wish I would read the word more. I wish I understood more. I wish I was a better Christian. We just wonder if he's far away from us, don't we? Sometimes we wonder, where, where is he? So far. And yes, of course, he is seated at the right hand of the Father in the throne room of heaven. And yet he is so close to us. As the word tells us that he makes his abode within us. He lives within every believer. That's how close he is. He is our saviour. And he is our Lord. And to him we willingly bow. But isn't it so lovely a sound to echo in your ears? he calls his disciples his friends. Even though we sin so much. Even though we're so inadequate. Even though we're so rebellious at times. In him he still calls us friends. That's a wonderful thing. For the king of kings and the lord of lords to call a worm such as I. You are my friends. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Who's that speaking of? Who can possibly stick with me closer than a brother? Regardless of what and who I am on a daily basis, there's only one. There's only one who is truly faithful. One will never let me or you down. The one who sticks closer than a brother is the Lord Jesus. And if Jonathan's love for David was intense and it was real and a love that sprung into action, the love of Christ for you is all the more so. A human examples and it was intense and it was real and it was good and it was holy and it was righteous. But what about how much more is Christ's love for you magnified? I hope you realise that this morning. His love for you is intense. So intense that he died. How much more real can love get than the eternal Son of God leaving the glory he had in heaven with the Father and the Holy Spirit to come to the earth he created, took on the flesh of his creation, became a slave, became a servant, the word becoming flesh. Now Jonathan stripped himself of his own princely robes. And took it all off. Armour, sword and belt. And he fully equipped David to appear before his father as a prince 
rather than appearing before him in his own shepherd's habit. You see, David was there to make an appearance before Saul. What did Jonathan do? He stripped himself. And he gave him all that he had, his royal robes, so that David could present himself before the king in that lovely setup, rather than his own shepherd's rags. It's a lovely, lovely scene. But in a much grander, in a much mightier, more wonderful scene, the Lord Jesus Christ strips himself of his own reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. See, Jonathan clothed David, but Jonathan didn't take David's clothes and put them on. He didn't exchange his robes for David. He gave his own to David, but he didn't take David's rags and wear them himself. But what did Jesus Christ do? He's clothed his people with his own righteousness and he took our filthy rags upon himself. Our filthy ribbons of sin he took. Christ who knew no sin was made sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God. That is real love indeed. Not even Jonathan who loved David was going to take his shepherd's rags and wear them to Christ. Who is much higher, much loftier, much holier, much sweeter, much purer. than Jonathan took the rags of his people. So intense is his love that he humbled himself still further than that. Than just taking upon himself our flesh. But he went to his death, the death of the cross. The most cruel and most barbaric of tortures. So far had mankind fallen from the glory and standard of God. And so much he loved us that in the counsel of the triune God before the foundation of the world. The son willingly and obediently became the surety for the salvation of a numberless multitude. That includes you and me. So passionate for the redemption of all those his father had given him. That he gave his blood to be sprinkled upon them in order to purify and consecrate them a pure a spotless a blameless and holy nation that's what he did what did we do all we did was love ourselves love our sin Live so blindly, selfishly, rebelling, rejecting and hating Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We have no interest in anything holy or good. We were dead in trespasses and sin and we had no ability whatsoever to save ourselves. No, perhaps no desire to. Before Christ drew us to himself. We had no desire for him. You see, all the work is his. That's not love. What is? To look upon us so unable, hurtling towards an eternity away from him, in torment, in bitterness and anger of all what sin does to us. He 
he worked. You see, the only thing that we added to our salvation, you've probably heard this before, the only thing we added to it was the sin that made his great plan of redemption necessary. And he calls us friends. He calls us friends. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times. And he does. He's faithful. Sometimes we're not so faithful, are we? But he always loves. And it's a friend closer than a brother that loves at all times. What a friend we have in Jesus. His love will never fail us. He won't leave us. He won't forsake us. He is always close to us. He is always for us. I cannot tell you of his great and intense love for you better than scripture. So I'm going to leave you with Romans 8, 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also give us freely all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? For it is God who justifies. Who is it who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, and also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a friend we have. And he is your friend this morning, if you know him. Let's endeavour then to continue in all areas of our lives to be a friend to him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this lovely story of Jonathan and David. Thank you, Lord God, that they were knit together and that they served and loved one another as such great unity of the Christian faith such an example for us. And yet, Lord, what a greater example we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and has caused us to be knit to him. Help us then, we pray, Lord, as we go from here, to know that Christ is not some God who has a big stick to punish, to laugh at us as we fall in the pit, but it's the one whose hand reaches down to pull us out. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Lord, we thank you that you have borne our sins and our griefs. And that you have saved us. Help us then, we pray, Lord, to be the best, the greatest, sweetest friend that we can be to you. Lord, we thank you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.